Welcome, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most grisly, the most gruesome, the most deadliest homicide cases in Maryland are profiled and examined. This season, season one, child murderers are profiled. On this episode, child killer Mark Castilla is profiled and this episode's unsolved homicide is the murder of Nicole Marie Terrain. 41-year-old Mark Castillo was going through it. He and his wife were going through a bitter, ugly, nasty divorce, and he was losing everything. His house, his wife, his family, his livelihood, his financial support. He was losing his kids and he was losing his mind. At first, they were best friends and a loving married couple and the parents of three beautiful young children. But over the years, the marriage began to decline. They, the marriage began to decline because of Mark's increasing erratic behavior and because of physical and emotional abuse. Mark's wife, a pediatrician at Kaiser Permanente, after 10 years of marriage in 2006, she filed for divorce. The courts told Mark that he had to leave his home immediately and find somewhere else to live and to not have any contact with his wife or his kids. His wife did pay spousal support to him to help him get back on his feet, but for a time, he lived out of his van. Eventually, he was reduced from living in a fat-ass crib out Silver Spring to renting a room in a house from a Spanish-speaking family on Shitney Kill Road in Rockville. Throughout it all, his whole miserable situation, he fought to see his kids, while his wife insisted to the courts that he was mentally off and mentally unstable. In the summer of 2006, Mark was involuntarily committed to a mental institution because he was severely suicidal and he had manic racing behavior. Once, he poured ant poison, duct tape, and a utility knife in an attempt to kill himself, but he lost a carriage. At the time, he was homeless, driving around the county, living in a van, and basically losing it by being on his own. On Christmas Day, December, December 25, 2006, Mark's wife filed a protective order against him in the Montgomery County District Court and in her order she mentioned those visits to those mental institutions and the fact that he had unstable personal relationships. She wrote that he had been diagnosed with a mood disorder as well as narcissistic personality disorder with borderline histrionic personality traits just two months earlier in September and October. He appealed his involuntary hold in those psychiatric institutions. He won the appeal and he was released a week later. In her protective order to the court, his wife begged the court to order him to undergo mandatory counseling because of all of his mental health issues. She insisted that because of all of his anger directed towards her, that that proved that he was unfit to see his kids without being supervised. She reiterated in her order that she knew her husband better than they did 
And although he never, not once, physically hurt his kids, she did write in her protective order. Her exact words were, he has never actually hurt the children, but he did tell me that the worst thing he could do to me would be to kill the children and not me so I could be without them. Now, she was able to get a temporary protective order, but a little over two weeks later, on January the 10th, 2007, a judge rejected her request for a permanent peace order because this time Mark fought back when he went to court. This time, defending himself throughout his whole divorce, he came armed with supporting letters from those same psychiatrics who wrote that, you know, the acute risk, the exact words were, the acute risk of harm Mr. Castillo imposes to his children is low. He continues to get treatment. Another psychiatrist wrote a letter stating that he was faithfully going to therapy sessions and he saw no danger or threat of harm in Mark hurting his kids at all. Fully convinced, the judge checked off his box that there was no clear or convincing evidence that the alleged acts of abuse occurred and Mark was granted visitation rights again. For the next two years, Mark and his wife fought over visitation, they fought over the schedules, and at one point his wife was fined by the courts because she admitted that she did stop him from being with the kids. After their divorce was finalized in February of 2008, things got worse for Mark. The spousal support and alimony stopped, and he was still struggling to pay bills, still struggling with his mental illness, and he accused his wife of turning the kids against him and telling lies about him, and the fighting and bickering and arguing continued. During one of those arguments, his oldest son saw him cursing out his ex-wife, and the boy got extremely upset with his father, and it sparked a series of fighting emails between him and his ex-wife. She wrote in one of those emails, We do miss being your family but I can't let the children grow up with this kind of continual emotional turmoil. And that was one of the last emails that she sent to him. On Saturday, March 29, 2008, Mark snapped. Mark's ex-wife later told reporters of, to the Baltimore Sun that she noticed nothing different or unusual or out of the ordinary about Mark when he picked up the kids that afternoon. Six-year-old Anthony Castillo four-year-old Austin Castillo and two-year-old Athena Castillo all happily enjoyed a visit with their father spending their day at the Maryland Science Center at the Inner Harbor. At 5 p.m., Mark checked into a pre-reserved room at the Pricey Marriott Hotel on Utah and West Lombard Street near Camden Yards at the Inner Harbor. He checked into a top-floor room with, the, with two queen-size beds the room number was room 1060. They ordered room service and they ate good food. God only knows what was on his mind because an hour later at 6 p.m. he started drowning his kids. In chilling detail, he later confessed to detectives that he distracted his two boys with his laptop and video games while he started his deadly crusade on his two-year-old daughter first. He confessed to detectives that he took his toddler daughter in the bathroom, filled the bathtub with water, undressed her, 
and held her under while she while the baby struggled to live using a freaking stopwatch that he hung up on the towel rack he hung he held his baby underwater for a total of 10 minutes to make sure she could never ever be resuscitated when he didn't see any more bubbles and he was sure she was dead he carried her body out of the tub and tucked her in one of the beds that was in the room next came his four-year-old son austin he told detectives that his son kicked and struggled to breathe as he also held him under the water in the tub for 10 minutes when he was dead he laid his body next to his dead sister his older brother six-year-old anthony was now suspicious his father later told investigators he said his son had a sad and then a look of terror when he realized what his father was about to do to him. I, I, I can't even imagine it. I, I honestly, I honestly can't. His father said Anthony was bigger, stronger than his younger brother and sister and harder to drown. He said his son kicked and fought to stay alive, but his father held him down under the water until the struggling stopped. Then his father put his naked body next to his siblings. He took the stopwatch off the wall and put it in his daughter's diaper bag. Next, he swallowed 100 Aleve pain pills and stabbed himself several times in his neck with a steak knife to kill himself. Unfortunately, his little feeble attempts at suicide didn't work and he woke up around 1 p.m. on Sunday the next day lying next to his dead kids. That's when he just gave up and called down to the hotel's front desk to report what he had done. The front desk immediately called 911 and paramedics responded with the Baltimore City Police Department. The hotel staff gave the paramedics a master key and when they entered the room with the police, they saw the kids lying dead on one of the beds in the room. Mark was lying on the other bed. I know what I did was bad. I drowned the kids last night around 6 p.m., he repeated to paramedics, as he himself was rushed to University Hospital for his own self-inflicted superficial injuries. Meanwhile, the night before, when Mark didn't bring the kids back, to his, back home to his ex-wife in Silver Spring by 8.30 p.m. like he was supposed to, his ex-wife knew something was wrong. At 10.30 p.m., she started calling the Montgomery County Police Department, complaining that her ex-husband was late in bringing the kids back, and she was worried not only because of his increase in anger, but also because of his mental history and threats of suicide. But the police told her that they couldn't put out any reports or start any searches because Mark, being their father, had the legal right to be with them, and, and unless he made specific threats against the kids, there was basically nothing they could do until they were gone at least 48 hours. His ex-wife blew his phone up, as she had done the night before. Her calls went straight unanswered and straight to voicemail. Mom dead. When Mark didn't answer his phone all night or bring the kids back uh, in the morning, that next morning on Sunday, his ex-wife called the cops again and demanded they get off their asses and make moves. 
This time, a police officer came out to her home and wrote up a report after he called Mark himself, and his call also went straight to voicemail. Neither the officer or Mark's ex-wife knew that the kids were already dead and Mark was sleeping next to them. At the hospital, Mark was confessing the entire time, saying he killed his kids just like how he had threatened he would because he was bitter over their divorce, the end of his family, and his security unit, and because he felt he couldn't live without his kids. Plus, he said he wanted to make his ex-wife suffer. He wanted her to make her feel the pain of losing, make her feel the pain of losing everything that he had and felt like he had. Once his neighbors heard of what Mark had done to his kids, they were completely stunned and dumbfounded. They all described him as an excellent father whose eyes lit up when he talked about his kids. They said he never spoke bad about his ex-wife and he would bring his kids over to his rented room often and they were very welcome there. After Mark was released from the hospital, he was immediately arrested and charged with three counts of first-degree murder, three counts of child abuse, three counts of child abuse resulting in death. Held without bail, at first, Mark pled not competent to stand trial, but eventually, after going through the motions of firing his lawyers, going through courtroom outbursts, on the last minute, he eventually accepted full responsibility for his actions. I was wrong, he began. Then he asked for a Bible, and he got when he got one, he read a verse from Ecclesiastes 8.8, 8, which read, No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the last day of death. According to the, an article for the Baltimore Sun, at sentencing, Mark had huge support from his family, and in court, his sister gave a statement that said, we love Mark Castillo so much. We love the kids with all our hearts. We're behind him 100%. He has the love and support of his family and always will. In the end, the judge sentenced Mark to three consecutive life sentences without the possibility for parole. Mark said, I understand I'll be in jail for the rest of my life, as he fully acknowledged to the judge, letting him know that Although he did suffer from mental illness, he wasn't trying to hide behind it like most inmates do and most, con most convicted murderers do. He knew exactly what he was doing and what he did was dreadfully wrong. As he was being led out of the courtroom, his last, his last words were to his 21-year-old daughter from a previous relationship. I love you, he shouted to her. After sentencing, his ex-wife gave an interview to the Washington Post where she said that in the weeks leading up to her kid's murder, she had noticed that Mark had been more angrier because all around him, he was surrounded by troubles. She stated that on that particular Saturday, she didn't notice nothing unusual about him, but that they had only interacted very briefly anyway as he picked the kids up. She told reporters that because of this tragic, traumatic ordeal that altered her life, she still does have flashbacks and nightmares, and she has been treated for PTSD, and she gets counseling, but she still suffers tremendously from what happened to her kids. She said she has forgiven Mark, 
for killing her kids. Um, and she reminisced on her kids, describing Anthony, the oldest, as a sweet and good mama's boy who never got the chance to finish kindergarten. The six-year-old was described as being very smart and very loving. Um, her son, four-year-old Austin, was more of a troublemaker with a great sense of humor and more like his father. And she said he had a wild side. Her two-year-old daughter, Athena, had just started to talk and she said she felt like she never even got the chance to really get to know her. She told reporters that she prays for Mark and she is devastated, of course, but it gives her peace that no one else can harm them again and that they're with Jesus in heaven. And she said she not only lost her kids, she lost her husband, who was once her best friend. This murder was notorious in Merlin because three dead kids drowned in a pricey, uh, expensive Marriott hotel room. I remember when this happened, I was like, what? This, it, it brought uh, reminiscent of the Andrea Yates case who, dry, who drowned five of her kids. Uh, she suffered from mental illness and I believe she still is housed in an institution to this day. I don't think she's ever getting out. I don't think she ever wants to get out. Um, the same thing with his situation. Um, when I heard about it, I couldn't believe it. I knew it had to be in a custody situation that was behind it. Um, I believe what was interesting in this case was the fact that um, even though he did suffer from mental illness and was diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, and uh, I believe the other one was uh, something that was dealing with manic issues, that he didn't try to hide behind those issues. He just changed his plea from being not competent to stand trial because he possibly could have gotten off on that. Or I won't say getting off, but he probably could have gotten um, sentenced to an institution, a mental institution, something like Clifton T. Perkins versus um, state prison where he is at now. Um, but he accepted full responsibility. I believe that he knew exactly what he was doing. Um, I don't know why uh, most uh, mentally ill uh, inmates or murderers who commit, who kill their kids and then choose their attempt at suicide. Why is it always, why is it always where they failed? You know, well, I won't say always, but in this particular case, um, he chose a hundred Aleve pills and to stab himself in the neck. I could have, that, I could have told him that wasn't going to work. That, that wasn't going to work if you really wanted to do it, you know. Um, um, it's interesting also that um, uh, his wife does sound courageous. She did warn the courts um, what was she felt like was going to happen. I believe that the courts failed her in this situation. Um, that's obvious. There's no other way around it. They failed her in this situation. They should have listened to her when she put those warnings out that he was capable of doing something like this. I believe that anybody that makes threats like that are capable of, of carrying them out if they're mad enough, depressed enough, especially when they feel like that they have nothing to lose. Um, um, I can't even imagine what his mom or what uh, his the, the mother of these three kids is even going through. 
Um, I did not write to, I, I did not choose to write to Mr. Castillo because um, it's because of the mental illness aspect of it. Sometimes when I want to, when I talk to an inmate or a person that's been convicted of a homicide, I usually like to talk to that person. Um, I didn't want to open up that line of communication. I don't, I, I want to. I don't necessarily like to talk with someone who has been diagnosed with mental illness because I don't know what type of personality I'm going to get back. That's something I would rather do in person versus putting on paper. Who knows what type of response they're going to write back. So that's why I did not write to him to ask him his feedback on what happened in this case or why his issues or anything. I, I think he made it very obvious. And I do believe um, that he might be remorseful but he has to pay the ultimate price for taking the life of three beautiful children just because he couldn't deal with the fact of being on his own and the fact that he had issues that his ex-wife did not want to deal with. This episode's unsolved homicide is the murder of 34-year-old Nicole Marie Terrain. On Saturday, April 18, 2015, 34-year-old Nicole Marie Terrain left out of her home in the 700 block of Peach Orchard Lane in Dundalk to take her daughter to her grandmother's house to get her hair done. After that, she drove her black Chevy Equinox to meet up with her daughter's father to get money to help pay for her daughter for getting her hair done. She never made it there, and her family reported her missing the next day. Nicole had last been seen driving her truck around 3 p.m. that Saturday in the 3500 block of Elmy Avenue in the Bel Air Edison neighborhood. Her truck was later found in the 4100 block of Old York Road. Two days later, on Monday, April 20, 2015, around 12.30 p.m., Employees at the Willabrator Trash Incinerator Facility in the 1800 block of Annapolis Road were working emptying the trash bins when all of a sudden a body fell out one of the cans. Pronounced dead at the scene by paramedics, the body was later identified as being the body of missing Nicole Terrain. Although her body showed no signs of trauma, an autopsy later determined that she had died from asphyxiation. The year was 2015, and Nicole was just one of 493 murders that were committed that year in the state of Maryland, one of the deadliest years we had seen, and this young woman, who was a mother of three, was simply lost in the mix, a sea of unsolved homicides. <sighs> I do believe that whoever did this will kill again and that whoever did this for this particular case this wasn't their first or last murder for some reason I have weird vibes about this one um the police have absolutely no leads in her murder case I believe that for this one that we should do the right thing and just get justice for this woman who didn't deserve to be tossed in a trash incinerator like garbage if anyone has information that can lead to an arrest or a conviction for the murder of Nicole Marie Terrain, please call Homicide Detectives at 410-396-2100 or 1-866-7-LOCKUP 
or you can text them at 443-902-4824. Um, this particular case, like I said, um, I just got bad vibes as far as dumping a body in a trash incinerator. I think that was just kind of low. And like I said, um, I just feel like whoever had the ability to do something like this definitely would be, that would be something that would be obvious in their characteristics, in their personality. And this to me should not be something that should not be too hard to solve. Um, once again, if anyone has any information that can lead to an arrest or conviction, they can call Homicide Detectives at 410-396-2100. Um, thank you for tuning into this episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders. Be sure to tune in next week where another high-profile, another gruesome homicide in Maryland will be examined and profiled. This has been a real life production.